You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to Flipping Tables, episode 135, 135. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm Michael Edwards. Got the sad, disparaged look on your face. Your After face. like 11Ds, it just doesn't work. It really doesn't. 12Ds Any... is sort of okay. 12 and 13E. I don't, yeah, it's not good. Um, so we have a little bit of follow up. Uh, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on some of this rock band region lock stuff that I was dealing with. Um, because I know that you have two interesting viewpoints on this one uh anytime nintendo asks for <laughs> four more of your dollars for like metroid or mario you pretty much like unequivocally do it like you've got to own more copies of that than like the nintendo museum <laughs> and then the other thing is as a musician i'm kind of curious what you think about like why am i having to pay a second time for access to these songs in rock band like is that right does harmonics have any sway over this? So, so give me your thoughts. Like, why am I paying multiple times for these things I essentially already bought? Because your license was very specific to a certain <laughs> game copy on a specific platform to be used in one context. And the new game is a new context. So unless they, unless harmonics or whoever developer is uh, negotiated a better licensing deal, they have to charge you because they have to pay the music people. And how do you think that plays out for the artist? Like, do any of these artists see any of that money or does this just stop right at whoever owns the, the license? It depends on the artist and the label and the agreement they have. <laughs> so, so it, it could, could be, be all over. Yeah, it could be great for <laughs> artists that get to own their revenue and whatever. But I imagine for most uh, most aren't in a position of power to have a really great deal with their label, so they probably don't see much. Cause here's why it seems a little bit weird to me. So if you uh, bought Rock Band 2 when that was new, it was like you know, fourteen ninety nine to export all the Rock Band 1 songs, except for certain songs, into Rock Band 2. <laughs> and then with 3, it was the same kind of thing. You know, export all your songs from 1 and 2 into 3. And now with... Four, it's export all of your songs from one or two or three or Lego Rock Band into four. And it's, I think all the licenses are similar. So it's like $9.99 for most of them or $14.99 for the main games, like that kind of thing. Um, doesn't it seem like a little weird? And then <laughs> that it would be like the exact same amount, even though like Rock Band 1 and Rock Band 2 had a different number of songs that it would be the same amount to like bulk, ex bulk export. Let's... And then wait, another wrench <laughs> in this insanity is any DLC songs work across the games that support them, which says to me that somehow they negotiated a different license for the DLC because right, out, yeah. right off the bat, they said this is going to be compatible with any game we make in this series. And that the licensees were like, okay, but for some reason, the on-disc songs do not get that treatment. 
Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to the deal. They like it's not going to follow some clear logic aside from what were they willing and able to get <laughs> from licenses, <laughs> and like preserving whatever they consider a good enough user experience. Like, how much is Harmonix and you know whoever publishes is it who publishes Rock Band? Is it EA or is it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Now it's EA. I think originally it was somebody else, but it's definitely EA now. So it's how hard they want to work negotiating with, you know, the very notoriously tough minded music <laughs> licensing world, um, which, you know, is probably not as nearly as awful as movie licensing, but uh, is kind of up there. Yeah, it seems pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I mean, just from what I've observed as a consumer and things I've heard from, from you and like from Matt on, on bits and pieces and just in general conversation, it, it seems pretty bad. And then we, I know, Oh gosh, I can't remember what episode it was in, but a while back we talked about how like a port of a game is not really that easy. Like it, there is a lot of work yeah. that's involved, but emulation is kind of not a port. It's like literally just free money. <laughs> so with the, Especially when you have orders of magnitude of like processing power making you not have to make your emulator so low level good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're we're not trying to run these on like a swatch watch. Like these are running on super powerful, many, many, many orders of magnitude more powerful machines. I mean the the 3DS is probably an order of magnitude more powerful than the N sixty four was. Yeah, it's more like a GameCube. Right. So to emulate Nintendo game, like original Nintendo games on the 3DS is, I mean, you have processing power to spare. So when they port these games into the virtual console and essentially sell you a ROM, like, do you, how do you feel about that? Like, do you think it's legit to kind of pay that license or are you, are you pretty much like, no, they're screwing me, but what choice do I have? I, I mean, I don't think it's illegitimate, but it, there's definitely a limit to how many times I'm going to be willing to do this. And, you know, when the Wii came out, it was still like a novelty. Like, yeah, you could emulate on your computer, but there wasn't open EMU. It was still kind of a a, a hacky world. And, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as nice as laying back on your couch <laughs> and playing a copy that, of the, the game. The lean back experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, you know... <laughs> hobbyists have completely solved that and you can get a raspberry pi and you can make like a perfect couch machine which have you done that yet no but i will talk about it on the show after i do it um and so you know with the wii u they they let me quote upgrade my roms for like a dollar so like it's kind of stupid but it's also like wait uh, wait 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 what you you could claim you had ROMs and pay a different fee than if you were buying like... There's, the... there's no trusting the user to claim it. It's when you ported your Wii to Wii U, it copies all of your Wii stuff. And then if you're willing to launch into Wii mode, which literally turns into a 480p emulation of the Wii, uh, you, can, you can play our, all your old ROMs. You don't have to repurchase them. But who wants to do that? You don't get tablet mode. You don't get any of that stuff. Uh, and so if you want to, quote, upgrade them to Wii U and get tablet mode and get save states that are better, um, then if you already own the game, then it's only like a dollar or two only to See, buy but, the thing you already had but even that feels like oh if you want the wii u emulator like the game isn't changing but yeah. they're, they're selling you a better emulator but they're selling it to you on a per rom yep Ugh. 
So then there's like already a subset of like, well, I'm not like in the Wii era, I, I bought more games than I should have because there's certain <laughs> ones you're like, I remember that game. And then you realize, oh, I'm never going to play this again. Um, but then on the Wii U, it's like a subset that I'm willing to upgrade even at the cheap price. So yeah, Super Metroid, I'll throw a dollar at to get tablet mode on. But, uh, you know, random Bomberman game, probably not. Probably not. And I mean, I'm I'm not an economicist, but it feels uh, it's it's very hard to make an argument for not doing this because there's no technological reason when obviously the market will withstand it. People will pay this money, and if they won't, <laughs> Nintendo hasn't lost anything because there's no investment in these games. The games already exist. <laughs> Um, sometimes they relaunch old games like Earthbound, which that's one where famously, if you try to emulate it, the end of the game may screw you over because it'll know it's not on official hardware. I don't know if they've they fixed that, if there's they a way have, to trick it. They have almost definitely fixed that. <laughs> but nonetheless, <laughs> um, they relaunch it and they charge $10 instead of seven ninety nine, which is what most Super Nintendo games are for through the Wii store. Um, at, at a certain point, Nintendo has to join, you know, 10 years ago when every other company figured out an account that spans different pieces of hardware because <laughs> they still don't. That's really, I think, where I kind of draw the line is if I like I don't own a Wii U and I buy a Wii U or I buy a new 3DS or whatever. And then I say, I don't have any legitimate copy of A Link to the Past. I would like to play A Link to the Past on my 3DS. And then I give them $8. Like that is, that seems like a fair business deal. But then to turn and say, I now, owner of these two Nintendo systems, want to play the same emulated game on my <laughs> Wii U that I have already paid for on my 3DS. And then for them to say, like, well, that'll be another $8. It's like, no. <laughs> No, I would rather spend $8 on a cable to plug the 3DS into the television. Yeah. Like, or that's... save, you know, you do this for three more games, you should have just gotten a Raspberry Pi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. I mean, that that's kind of where I draw the line in my mind is is exactly what you're saying of don't act like me playing the Wii U and me playing the 3DS are two different people and therefore I should pay two different licenses. Just because you suck at the internet <laughs> and you haven't figured out how to connect these things until, like, you know, a few months ago when you released uh, uh, Mitomo, like, don't don't punish me in licensing fees because you're bad at technology. Because that's what it feels like is happening. Yeah. Well, it's artificial scarcity. I mean, it's just another example of that. I mean, at least with, um, you know, like Kindle books or movies or something, they acknowledge like, yeah, you're allowed to watch this with other people in your house. And like, hey, if you buy a Kindle book, you can read it in the Kindle app or on your Kindle or on your phone or all of those things at the same time, because you presumably person with two eyes and one brain cannot read in multiple locations at the same time, but you have to be signed into your account. Like all of that checks yeah. out, but to say, Oh, you can't play this game on the 3ds and on the Wii U because what? I don't know. Like, I well, don't know what even, they're preventing. Even if they wanted to do an activation system, like you get five Nintendo devices. Fine. Like sure. totally, totally fine. happy with that. Yeah. Especially I would even go another step and say, the same ROM can't be active on multiple devices at the same time. <laughs> because then they are forced... I would rather them 
enforce the fake cartridge mentality of like like I have a 3DS and Susan has a 3DS. Like the Steam family sharing works that way, except yes. that's actually on its face intended for you to give <laughs> games to your family. Yes, but when they're playing them, you can't. Like I'm totally that makes perfect sense in that we have refused to change our mind about how physical versus digital goods work. Like I get that they don't want you to be able to share it with everyone you've ever met. And then everybody can play for free at the same time. Like this is a good half measure to uh, prevent oversharing, right? Because if you give it to someone else, you can't play it while they're playing it. That, that makes a lot of sense to me, but man, come on, Nintendo. (laughs) And, and I guess, well, I guess they, they don't deserve too much crap because uh, do PlayStation and Xbox have anything even comparable to this? Like, if I want to buy an old PlayStation game... Uh, if you buy a PS1 game, you can play it on your Vita, your PSP, your PS3. You can re-download it on all those devices. Okay, and just get your head out of your ass, Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be... I didn't want to just harp on them over nothing. But. And really, it was PlayStation, it's pretty clear that it's about compatibility. Like, did they set it up like the ps1 emulator works on all those platforms so they're like yeah you bought the game go for it oh jeez, okay and i get microsoft isn't doesn't really have this as much of a problem because they don't have handhelds and newer games it seems like they're trying to now push for them working on windows as well as on the xbox like having yeah. some cross functionality there so yeah i didn't mean for this to just be me crapping on nintendo but it kind <laughs> of is that now it's yep. me crapping on Nintendo and the music industry. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, speaking of weird video game stuff, uh, I'm going <laughs> to let you introduce this one. Uh, so th- this actually, this <laughs> this story answered a lot of questions in my head about, because when Minecraft came out, like, you know, it was one of those, like, indie games that was in alpha forever and then suddenly blew up and then now it's like mainstream but in like 2010 2011 when it was still pretty like underground not everyone knew about it um i always wondered why doesn't lego buy minecraft or why didn't they make minecraft like this is their lunch being eaten completely (laughs) and uh it turns out and maybe at that time they were behind the ball they were they were late but uh they apparently tried to make a massively multiplayer online Lego building game and they hit such an interesting roadblock and uh, (laughs) they had, they ended up canceling this MMO because of this problem. And there may have been other problems, but it seems like this was a big one for them. And that is people would not stop making penis buildings. (laughs) Penis buildings were rampant and they were very creative about it. And, they found it an incredible technical and social challenge to scale up a penis uh, filter for their game. <laughs> and since Lego, kind of like Nintendo and Disney, prides himself on a family-friendly image, uh, penis anywhere in the game was a deal-breaker. <laughs> and so they, they wanted to be able to promise you know, parents and their customers penis-free Lego online gaming. And uh, apparently that's impossible. So there's this IGN article that really is sort of, you know, made an article out of tweets from one of the developers. And uh, there's just amazing quotes all over this thing. Um, Basically, they couldn't figure out an inexpensive way of dealing with the widespread penis epidemic sweeping (laughs) over the game. (laughs) So they tried to automate this, you know, try to create dong filters. I assume that would like label buildings that looked kind of like dongs. And then would let a human come in and make the final call. But <laughs> you realize this is 
like a serious uh google scale like ai problem yeah <laughs> like you need an ai that's entire intelligence is geared toward interpreting and understanding dogs and i mean lest listener lest you think like this is like well it looks like a penis like this is very simple you can filter those out uh, wrong human ingenuity <laughs> and trollishness knows no bounds because people would make multi-part buildings where uh, you know, like those perspective illusions where you have to stand in a certain part of the room and then uh, you can see, um, or those sculptures where when you spin around them, it looks like a giraffe and now it looks like an elephant. Um, people were basically going to that level to create penises. <laughs> I, I, I love, there's a little part of me that loves the bizarre corners that, uh, spark human creativity. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen like any of those documentaries where they talk about the way people in prison find to fashion weapons. Like uh, the, the my go-to example is if you take toilet paper and you wet it and then you let it dry and then you wrap more toilet paper around it and then you wet it and then you let it dry and you keep doing that. Eventually, you basically have like reconstituted wood and you can shave that to a point that is capable of piercing human flesh. And <laughs> I, I cannot imagine... You can't ban water or toilet paper, probably. <laughs> right? I cannot imagine any circumstances other than prison where someone would come up with that solution. <laughs> yeah. And I cannot imagine any other circumstances other than human beings are terrible <laughs> that they would invent ways to build penises out of Lego bricks that only look like penises from certain angles so that they could like get away with putting this into the game. Like it's, it's horrible and I don't defend it, but I am awed by it. Well, I think it's, I like to call it like a creativity surplus. Like <laughs> the fact that we're capable of this is the reason humans are humans. Like this is why we have civilization, but now it's being applied in these insane ways. Uh, one of the, hang on, where's one of my favorite quotes in here? Um, oh, people saying, well, just allow dicks. Lego's brand is utterly trusted by parents. <laughs> we have to uphold that trust. That means zero tolerance. Like, I just, I'm trying to imagine the people inside Lego, like the engineers trying to solve this problem, spending hours and hours building these algorithms and, you know, visual detection software. That's like their entire life is dicks and <laughs> trying. <laughs> They'd to... inadvertently create, you know, automated car driving AI <laughs> while trying yeah. to solve the dick problem. Yeah. And you have to know that there were engineers who were like, oh my God, who cares about the Lego brand? Please don't make <laughs> me spend another minute trying to deconstruct what it means to be a phallus so, <laughs> so I can get it into the most abstract terms possible. And then there's lawyers who are just like, nope, 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 zero. The acceptable number of dicks is zero with a 0% margin of error. Zero dicks. Yeah. And I, I think the developer, there was a quote about him marveling at how Minecraft gets away with not even trying to worry about this. And is that just because they're... It's just Minecraft, whatever. It's like at its heart, like it doesn't have this family, be even though it's very kid and education friendly and it's like invaded those corners completely. Uh, they don't, they don't seem to have this legacy burden of making parents happy. Well, and you just nailed it without even realizing it. They have invaded the like 
children's space and education, but that is not what they set out to do. Lego is known to be a family-friendly children's toy. Like even uh, the Lego theme parks. Um, I I have a young niece. You know, I travel and and talk to people who have you know make a small talk. They have kids that are near Legoland, and everyone I've spoken to says like, oh yeah, once they hit about eight. Like they're too old for for Legoland. Like even if they like Legos, like Legoland yeah. is geared at small children. Yeah. So they're you know they're wearing that uh, family friendliness on their sleeves. Whereas Minecraft is like, yeah, you can be an adorable child and make something useful for education, or you can build a calculator that shows all of its numbers in dicks, <laughs> <laughs> because like Minecraft is opinionless about what you do in the universe. Yeah. And it's just that sort of, it really is kind of a double standard of like, dicks in Lego world, how dare you Lego company, you need to police this. (laughs) Dicks in Minecraft, why are you playing with those kids? Why did you make that? This is on you, particular kid who made it, not on the parent company. Yeah, whenever you uh, align yourself with a certain amount of, like a, a, I don't know what you would call it, like a style or, or like a, a a a target market, I guess. You then become responsible for the actions of your users, and I think that's why so many. I mean, not to go way off on a tangent, but I think that's why a lot of online communities are like, "No, we're just all about free speech." So yeah. then, you know, Twitter on, gets that way, Reddit gets that right. So then, no matter what hateful, terrible things people say, they're like, "Oh no, man, that counts as free speech." We're just over here not passing judgment on folks. But in reality, 99% of their user base is like, oh, my God, will you please pass judgment on people? (laughs) And I think in Minecraft, because there's also – so this is another big difference. In Minecraft, you don't stumble upon someone else's creations. In the LEGO Universe game, it was – or LEGO – was it Dimensions? I thought it was LEGO Universe. Uh, I'm not familiar with all the different – variations i mean it never got released so maybe they waffled between titles but in in the the lego mmo you would constantly be coming across other people's creations like lego universe yeah that is the nature of the game is that you would be stumbling upon things that other creators built so that even ups the ante even more because it's like well if you go into your buddy's minecraft universe and it's full of things you find offensive like be mad at your friend don't be mad at minecraft but in lego universe it's like i didn't i did not ask for these dicks (laughs) (laughs) these dicks were brought to my door (laughs) exactly so i mean i you know this is a, a bizarrely complicated ai problem to which it was apparently easier for them to just say, we don't know, we're not going to do it's this. It's better to just not release this than to try to solve this problem. And so you you played Minecraft quite a bit. How close to Minecraft being new did you play it? Like, were you an early I adopter? played it in 2011 and maybe a little bit of 2012, and then I haven't followed it since at but, all. But what, do you know when Minecraft came out? It was still alpha when I paid whatever, like, to get my Mojang account. Okay. Yeah, so so you were there in the pretty early days. I completely missed the Minecraft train um, <laughs> or cart. I guess they have carts; they don't have trains. I missed the Minecraft cart. Use take two. So, uh, 
like I remember when I first started working with you, everybody in the office was kind of like, oh, hey, if, you know, like we haven't we don't really play Minecraft anymore, but like you're new. So like maybe this will be a thing we can do together. And like that just did not happen. Like not <laughs> not even a little bit. And when I first saw the preview trailer for Lego Universe, I was kind of like, oh, because like Susan's played some of the Lego games. I've like dabbled with them a little bit. They're fun. I like the the kind of Lego aesthetic and the humor for like the Lego Harry Potter games and Lego Indiana Jones games. Like it, this seemed like a really fun thing. And then I just stopped hearing about it and I had no idea <laughs> dicks were to blame. <laughs> dicks in every sense, dicks of players yeah, yeah, and just, dicks of players. Just like everything else on the internet, it was completely ruined by trolls. <laughs> is this a solvable problem? Can you have a space that is meant for children that would in any way be even the tiniest iota attractive to trolls and and have it be successful? I think it's all about like the the way you maybe you don't get to be part of the big wider world till you're older, you get sandboxed, you get to be with other kids. Uh I don't know. Well, and so that is something they say in this article that this developer said they had considered, which was like, you could build anything, but no one could see it. <laughs> yeah, until they filtered it. But then the cost of filtering it was just insane. Right. And the cost of not letting anyone see anyone else's creations would just crap all over the entire point of the game. Yeah, yeah it's just the, this is human civilization. Like. <laughs> You kind of have to take the the bathwater with the baby if you want if you want to do something like this online. So knowing full well that we can't do this in the short run, and saying up front that I am making a devil's advocate ar- argument that I'm fairly confident I don't actually agree with, can you imagine a culture in which you could just say like, "Well, then, just allow dicks." Like where children would be exposed to things that you would not necessarily want them exposed to, but that those children would live in a culture where you could say, hey, that thing like that, that's a bad thing. Like if there's a giant swastika made out of penises in the Lego universe where your child would then come to you and say, what's this? And you would say that is someone trying to be funny. Here's what it is. Here's why it's not funny. I can't really imagine a culture of like being that cool. Like no, not, <laughs> just, not one that well, came there's, from the there's, Puritans. <laughs> I think there's there's parts of our world that are that are cool with like just explaining it and being like it's fine whatever. Um but definitely not in America. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah. I mean, god in Japan like they literally still have fertility parades. Like, you know, children there know not just what that anatomy is, but what it's for. Like, yeah. that is an un- a publicly understood thing. But then they have totally different hangups than we have in America. And, like, Europe has totally different hangups from country to country than we have in America. So it's not – there's no place that's, like, totally cool. Like, they just have different things they're not cool about. <laughs> This is part of the human animal. You need you need taboo and you need the celebrated and <laughs> I don't know, we'll turn it into a big anthropology episode. Yeah, I'm really I mean, I have small children. I'm really not advocating for exposing them to all kinds of terrible things, but uh I kinda wanted to play this game and I'm a little bummed that <laughs> I'm a little bummed that the alternative to 
having a magical AI that recognizes any kind of phallus in any form, um, or, you know, obviously boobs or swear words or swastikas or any of the other terrible things that they would have wanted to insulate people from. Cause really this is not just solving the penis problem. This is solving the anything <laughs> anyone would find offensive anywhere ever problem, which is even more of like a magical futuristic AI. Uh, I, I'm somewhere between, come on, you guys are being too uptight, and, well, I wouldn't want to have to pay out those multi-million dollar lawsuits. Well, and what are the unintended, like, if someone invents this magic, no one can ever see anything that'll offend them machine, um, what are the, what, what happens to society then? Like, we're all in this bubble of nothing offends me, like, I think there's consequences to that, <laughs> which would, would not be good. Well, I assume if there was, you know, this magical AI of such accuracy that it would immediately be seized upon by, um, what do you call them? Malicious actors who would use it to censor. They would get it, you know, worked in some back door into a web browser and it censors anything negative about the current political party in power. Yeah. You know, and now suddenly it's like V for Vendetta world. And I am legitimately going to pat myself on the back for making the jump from penises in Lego universe to V for Vendetta in like two sentences. <laughs> well, there's probably a Wikipedia game about getting from penis to any other article with a certain number of clicks, but uh, no, I mean, uh, I like there's something about when you make something taboo, like even, even penises like, yeah, I'm not really fond of like let's show penises to little kids all the time like no that's good that's good good but nonetheless when you make something forbidden and like taboo you give it power that it didn't have before and so you have to be careful about that um in your own family or just as society at large like uh in America, we're pretty cool with shooting people and destroying people and bloody <laughs> carnage in all our games. But the second a boob is involved, everyone freaks out. And yep. it's like, man, like, could we tip the balance a little bit the other way on that? Like, Well, th- this is a perfect dichotomy between most European countries. I mean, I'm generalizing a little, but European countries and America, which is like, they're pretty okay with like a certain amount of nudity and a certain amount of sexuality. And we are super not, and we're pretty okay with huge amounts of violence and they are super not. So you couldn't even make one, which one kills people. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely which one on should be part of normal human behavior and which one shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> even that aside, um, cause I definitely, I'm with you on this, but you couldn't make one obscenity filter that fit both of those markets. Like no. it would, it would have to be culturally aware. Like, oh, am I censoring obscenities for French people? Well, here are the things they find offensive. Oh, am I censoring obscenities for children in Italy? Okay, they find some of the same things offensive, but then this other thing, but not that first thing. But that's all inherently opinionated because there's the the cultural exchanges. Should you be offended by this? Oh Jesus! And <laughs> like, do we need? we need things to pierce our little bubble sometimes so that we realize the world is bigger than what we see and, and care about. And what's yeah. the, what's the right way to do that? 
Well, I mean, you and I have both spent a lot of our career in education, and we, we know that anything that deals even the tiniest bit with children is like an impenetrable shield of safety. Like, you can shut down any idea, any initiative, any discussion. Won't someone please think of the children? <laughs> And I'm 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 a parent. Like I have children. I have a niece. I I generally do not want children that I have no relation to to be offended or harmed in any way. But there is so much. You know, you can wrap a kid in too many layers of bubble wrap mentally and physically, and it ends up causing problems. We need to think about what kind of a world we're leaving for Keith Richards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Would you, so having played Minecraft, uh, does a game like this look attractive to you at all? Like, do you think you might have played this? Built a few Lego dicks? <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably played the game. I don't think that I would have <laughs> built Lego dicks. Uh, Especially I, if it had a good <laughs> physics engine. Like, one of the games I always loved as a kid with real Legos was, all right, everyone gets 10 minutes to build a car, then we're doing Destruction Derby. Um, Ooh, yeah, yeah. And to do that virtually with a you know a, a fun physics engine, not necessarily realistic, but a fun physics engine, that would right. be great. Yeah, I mean, I guess for now at least we have the the safe contained universe Lego games, the the Harry Potters, the Indiana Joneses, the, and I don't see any end to those. Um, <laughs> as far as the eye can see in every franchise direction and they really do keep getting better i mean you know in, in lego's defense at least they didn't abandon video games all over they just said maybe we shouldn't let people out of their little sandbox is of it their... still traveler's tales that makes those i think so they're, is that the, the big good. t big t little t yeah they do a lot of the a lot of like they do the walking dead game which is not like the lego games but sort of a choose-your-own-adventure experience. Yeah, those are uh, like old-fashioned style, like point-click adventures, right? Kind of. A little bit. Not quite full-on King's Quest, but like a similar. No, I mean, they're very like cinematic, and then you get little sequences like, now run away from the zombie. Are you going to save that girl or go into the house? And then you kind of decide. Turn to page 220 if you save the girl. Turn to page <laughs> 245 if you let her die. Yeah. It, Turn to page 245, and it just says, you monster. So if you want to see this Lego penis article, you can find it in our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 135. And we're like 30 minutes in. That's pretty late. <laughs> um, so now I'm going to make you tell me about WhatsApp and how they're lying liars who lie. Because we uh, knew this was coming, right? Like, is anyone shocked yeah. by this? So in 2014, Facebook bought WhatsApp and... Uh, some people, you know, a lot, lot of people probably just use WhatsApp because they like WhatsApp, their friends are on WhatsApp, but some people use it because specifically because it's not Facebook, it's not Google, <laughs> like it's a third-party app. And so, you know, the mothership eventually absorbs everything. And so Facebook bought them. And uh, the CEO of WhatsApp, you know, gave out a strong blog post that was just like, none of our privacy, like privacy is part of our DNA, uh, your data is your data, kind of like that kind of message. And uh, it was just announced that WhatsApp is going to start sharing data with Facebook, which no one should be surprised by. But nonetheless, it's a, a frustrating thing for the community. And their reason is, uh, well, in their words, to offer better friend suggestions, 
dot 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 you know like a mile of ellipses and then <laughs> and show more relevant ads um yeah. Can these ads get any more relevant? I mean, oh my God, they're so relevant right now. I Can bought these it? socks, and I would like to buy another pair of these socks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Uh, and it's also to fight spam slash deliver you more spam more effectively. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what to say about it other than, of course, <laughs> Facebook is a company about selling attention. Like That's the easiest way to summarize their business model is they capture attention by having all these apps people feel compelled to use every single day of their lives, and then they sell that attention to advertisers. So why wouldn't they do this with WhatsApp? Like, why? What's the, what's the other point of having WhatsApp? Well, so way down at the bottom of this article, uh, there is a quote from, uh, let's say Mark Zuckerberg directly, because I'm not actually sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's actually it's someone at WhatsApp, and it says, even as we coordinate more with Facebook in the months ahead, your encrypted messages stay private and no one else can read them. Uh, not WhatsApp, not Facebook, nor anyone else. We won't post or share your WhatsApp number with others, including on Facebook, and we still won't share, sell, or give your phone number to advertisers. So, okay. So, I don't use WhatsApp very much, but I have a few friends that are overseas, so I have it installed. I've poked around it a little bit. Um, it doesn't know anything except the content of your message, the metadata around those messages, like who it's going to, when it was sent, you know, that yeah. that kind of thing. And then your number and the numbers of, of people in your contacts list. So if they're not selling or sharing your messages, cause they literally can't and they're not selling your number because they're just saying they won't. That means they're essentially saying the one thing we, we have that we can take from you and give to Facebook and thereby give to advertisers is your contact list. Like, am I oversimplifying that? Aren't they also saying that really they can see the messages too? Because if this is about relevant ads, then even if no human, you know, the Google model is looking at your messages, something is. I mean, why, the, why would this help them give the, you more relevant ads if they literally only got your network of people? Because they're connecting see, that network to Facebook? See, yes. See, this is what I think is so insidious about this is if I'm understanding this correctly, and let's face it, I'm probably not. If I'm understanding this correctly, then the metadata has, and I mean, this, this kind of, this conversation sort of came up, you know, years ago with the, the Snowden revelations is that the metadata has tremendous utility because if uh, the, if if Facebook knows I'm friends with you and I'm friends with Matt Duncan and both of you just bought a, a video game, then maybe they're going to advertise that video game to me. And then if I buy that and then Facebook now knows, okay, so these three people bought that game and all three of them are friends with Justin Edwards. So now we're going to advertise it to Justin. So like they can use metadata about what who we know on WhatsApp and then all kinds of data from other services, Facebook, things we post, things we say and do on other networks that feed data back to Facebook, and then use that to make determinations about what to advertise based on who we know through WhatsApp. Like, it may just be one more data point, and by itself, it may not be incredibly powerful, but it's not nothing, and added on to the gigantic pile of, <laughs> of metadata and just data data, 
I think it is another really useful signal. So for them to say like, hey, we don't read your messages. It's like, great. That's yeah. like you shouldn't be doing that. It's kind of like, you know, we aren't following your footprints, but we do follow you everywhere you go. And <laughs> right. we take note of the times and dates and locations you go to and who you're with. But we, you know, we don't care what your shoe print is. You're like, oh, great. I feel so much better now. I, I don't look through your window while you're changing. He <laughs> looks through your window and then narrates what he's seeing to a talented sketch artist. And then we <laughs> upload that photo to the internet with your name and home address. And it's like, well, okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for not looking right at me, I guess. And I mean, obviously, they don't feel responsible to educate people on the real value of the data they are taking and using and connecting because um, that would lead to more scandal. <laughs> they don't want you to think about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's this is so surprise, not surprising at all. Um, this is Facebook's business model. So why there's. This is what they're going to do. Were you a WhatsApp user? I used it. I mean, I never had a network of people using it, but I briefly used it with my family a little bit when I was on Android as a cross-platform option um, alongside. I think this was before Hangouts. Mm. Maybe. And so would, would their uh, purchase by Facebook and this sharing of data, like, does that make you second thought about them at all? Or are you just kind of like, yeah, whatever? I mean, I still use Facebook Messenger as it is with a oh, few so people. You, you already give absolutely zero f***s. Well, <laughs> I, I would rather not be using, but it's it's the network, man. Like, there's certain friends that are just, they will use that messaging platform and not others. And I mean, I have a lot of friends that it's like, I swear they like, they load a, a revolver with social networks and they spin <laughs> it and they, you know, randomly pick which one they're going to send me a message from. Yeah, I have a I couple friends that. like that, and <laughs> I try to just not talk to them. So maybe eventually we won't be friends, and I won't have to deal with this problem anymore. <laughs> Sorry, people who can't pick something. Just pick something. I don't even care which one you pick. Just pick something. Um, well, I'm I'm just reminded of the... This is the deal we've made with modern Silicon Valley is give up your data, you get free services that are useful. And... uh it's a good deal most of the time. I think it's a really great deal. It's wildly successful in the market. Entire... WhatsApp actually wasn't free. It became free after Facebook. So <laughs> this is what I'm getting to is I I had a blog post about this, which I'll share in the show notes since I'm you know just making an excuse to link to my own blog. Pimp it, um, pimp it hard. <laughs> and that's that I would like there to be multiple business models that are viable and not just the data vacuum business model which works really well for certain kinds of services, especially scaled services that you want to upgrade. I don't know where I'm going with this, but um, <laughs> I, it's just like sometimes I would like to just spend 50 bucks a year and just have none of this crap going on. Well, the I, I don't know exactly the, the legal ramifications of sub-sales or continued sales, but... I think that is where it gets incredibly murky and confusing because uh, you, Mike, have a business that I am a customer of, and you say, we will never sell your data, and then your company gets bought. 
and the company that buys you is like, we are totally cool selling your data. Then we so, are under no obligation to the old deal. <laughs> right. So is it they can sell any new data from after the sale? Is it they can sell any data that was generated even before the sale? Is it some weird combination, like certain old data, but not all of the old data, but now everything from this point forward? You know, so that's very tricky. And then what if that company that bought your company gets bought? Or what if... Uh, what happens to the data after it's sold to some third party? Can that third party resell it? What are their obligations yeah. for disclosure? And that's all insanely confusing. And there is probably not one clear answer. I'm sure there's lots of weird loopholes in different licensing agreements. Yeah. Well, and just legally, your data is not your data in the the eyes of like the legal system. It, it, these are business records, uh, which also has implications to... Uh, you know, law enforcement or surveillance or uh, all sorts of government actions because it's it's not the guy peeking in while you get ready to shower. It's <laughs> they think of it more like the receipt you left at the restaurant, and it's like, but right. this is tracking where I went and who I talked to at all times. It's a little different than the guy likes you know chicken sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, th- I'm I'm sure there are limits to. Because these systems need to talk to each other, they can't be metadata lists, and there's probably a limit to how much you can encrypt certain things. Like, you you can't have perfect privacy, I'm sure. I'm sure there is a point after which increased privacy would make connection damn near impossible, but... There is a lot more encryption. How far away from that are we? <laughs> very, very far, right? There's a lot more encryption. And but there's no incentive to no, do that from no, no, no. just about any company. Um, I just found an article on Quartz that I'll throw in the show notes, which you can still find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 135. Well and that's the how much revenue Facebook gets per user per year, um, which the world, worldwide average is $12 a year. But for certain you know, countries, they obviously get more than others. Um, U.S. and Canada, we make Facebook about $41 a year, and this is growing. So, you know, if Facebook was willing to offer a paid, we don't track anything mode, that they'd have to charge more than $41. They'd also have to factor in, if it was a wildly successful subscription program, how their their actual data set would get worse if everyone was moving over to don't track me, bro. Um so, yeah, I, I see yeah. why they don't offer it because no one would pay Facebook fifty dollars a year. A year? Uh, it would be a niche because it, it would. Um, but so this, I mean, to your point about having multiple business models, is if I could pay Facebook fifty dollars a year, but that meant they would purge everything they had known about me and everything from that point forward, as long as I was a paying customer, would be encrypted and protected and. They couldn't use it legally or technologically for anything other than providing the service to me. Yeah. That, I mean, I wouldn't want to have 10 social networks I had to pay $50 a year to, but I already don't have 10 social networks because who can manage (laughs) 10 social? You know what I mean? Like it's, it wouldn't balloon to be like a $500 a year thing because you had all these different networks you were paying it would probably just make you be a little bit more judicious about what networks you use. But I think the people that would pay for that would be an absolute outlier. Like, there's no way that would be a significant representative sample. No. 
And I assume that the technology involved in anonymization would make interacting with non-anonymized people more complicated, right? Yeah. Two super encrypted anonymous people talking to each other is probably, you know, X difficult. And one super encrypted anonymous person talking to a non-encrypted anonymous person is probably like 100X difficult because only parts of the chain have to be purged. And the parts that aren't purged, you have to have some high level of assurance that you couldn't reconstruct. Like if if you and I are talking and in every other message, you just say like, you know, lions, comma, I don't know why you feel that way. It's like, well, then it's not really anonymous, is it? Like anyone. And And even if Facebook pledged not to do anything with that public pronouncement of connection, some other company would find that valuable and would start building engines to suck up this information and use it. And so we'd kind of be at the same problem. It may be a little harder to do, but it'd still be a problem. Yeah. This is, I mean, I, I don't, uh, I don't envy the people who are responsible for trying to solve these problems. And I really do not envy the people who are tasked with solving these problems at the detriment to the massive profits of the company they work for, because now they're, they have the impossible task of how do we still make hundreds of millions or billions of dollars and do this other thing that is directly against our business model? Like that's, we're, we're asking for a magical problem solving unicorn. Yeah. That's a, that's probably never going to happen. What I think would be good for society was, okay, if I'm going to use Facebook, then their business model is their business model and I need to be cool with that or choose not to think about it or whatever. Um, But (laughs) if I want to leave, I should be able... I feel like it should be almost in our our constitution. We should legislate. I can say, hey, purge all my stuff. I'm no longer going to use your service. Get rid of it. Um, But I just don't see that any momentum for that. Well, that would require you, and you, you kind of hinted at this before. That would require a fundamental legal rethinking of who owns information about you. Yeah. So, like right now, if you generate data by existing, you, you don't have any legal yeah. claim to that most of the time, but not always, and depending well, on your is, age and the circumstance. This is why we need to we need to be rethinking these things because a lot of our law is from an era where it was like, yeah, a company can keep a list of phone numbers and addresses because it's just like their own little notepad to like contact potential customers. It's not a big deal. The things going on now are so far and away <laughs> beyond that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we we. What are the, like the three fronts? Like technologically, there's a lot more we could be doing to protect privacy. But first, we have to have laws in place to give companies any reason to conduct themselves in that way. But first, we have to have a culture that values those things enough to make yeah. legislation to force the companies. Like, it's it's hard. Like, we, I mean, we, we talk about how annoying this is and how, like, can't you just. And, I mean, I respect how difficult all this is. But, like, holy crap, I can't. When you really look at the depth of the problem, it's hard to imagine it ever changing because there is so much money at stake. Yeah. It's, it's a combination of uh, terrifying and also really terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> My thesaurus is terrible and also terrible. <laughs> um, so I want to end on something a little bit lighter. 
<laughs> yes, please. Um, so I bought a full-on electric vehicle, like not a hybrid, like a real, I pretend that the environment is super important to me, electric vehicle. And when I say I bought, I mean, I was almost late getting to recording with you tonight because I bought it today. <laughs> So, so what did you buy? What I kind? Bought, I bought a Nissan Leaf, which is, uh, Nissan is happy to remind you, the first mass production electric vehicle. Right. Um, because it's a full electric, it's not a hybrid, like the Prius and blah, 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 blah right? So there were lots of um, financial... Is it a 2016? It is. It's a lease. Uh, so this is. these are some of the interesting things around it is... Uh, Battery technology for for EVs, as as us insiders <laughs> call them, uh, it is improving so fast that unless you are buying a Tesla, it really does not make any sense to buy an electric vehicle. You lease it because by the time this lease is up, the batteries will be so much better as to make this car worth nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like the depreciation on an electric vehicle is astronomical even by car standards like it's a joke that you know like oh you drive the car off the lot by the time you get it home it's worth you know half what you paid for it yeah. uh-huh. but with electric vehicles that's <laughs> not that far from the truth because it's the majority of the value in that vehicle is the battery the i mean that it's it's most of the weight it's most of the the mass it's most of the value it's just most of the car um but there are some things around uh the whole ev uh, scene culture. I don't know what you call it that I find fascinating. Uh, and one of them is how it extends to like apps and like interconnectedness. So, uh, the Tesla, uh, has an app. You can talk to the car. There's some like interconnected things you can do. So you can say like, you know, when I get home, open my garage and, uh, turn on my hue lights and, you know, whatever, or like when the, somebody did a thing where they're like, when my Tesla's done charging, turn this hue light from red to green so that I know it's like above 80% and not first off, there's obviously no standard API. There's no, no EV company agrees <laughs> on like any of this stuff. This is all brand new, still, you know, very much in the weeds. You're just waiting for Google and Apple to own it all. <laughs> Basically. Yes. Um, but I'm, I'm sitting in the Nissan dealership uh, waiting on paperwork. So it's Labor Day as we're recording this. So they were like a little bit light staffed, but they had specials going that was drawing more business in. So I was there for like six hours or something absurd. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm I'm looking on the app store about the reviews for the Nissan app. And just review after review after review is saying, you know, oh, it just suddenly stopped working. Oh, this is crap. One star, it suddenly stopped working. They didn't alert anybody. It just suddenly stopped working. And I was like, huh, that seems like enough consistency that I'll bet there's some blog posts out there explaining this. <laughs> and it turns out that in February, some hacker figured out that you could just connect to anybody's Nissan Leaf if you had their VIN number. <laughs> so... So it's not quite as horrific as it sounds because they could troll you, but they couldn't like kill you. So like they could mess with your heat, but they couldn't like turn the car off. You know, they could change the radio presets, but they couldn't like steer you into a ditch. But what like underfunded computer science division was like forced to cut these corners? <laughs> like 
anyone worth their salt would be like, huh, this isn't secure at all. Not even close. Nope. <laughs> and this is exactly the argument that people are, are, you know, this kind of snafu brings to light, which is, uh, these are not technology companies. By and large, they are car companies, and they are now trying to sell what amounts to technology with wheels. And yeah. the more connected and the more technology is in cars, and this isn't really limited to EVs. This is any connected or smart-ish yeah. car. Um, the more these kind of problems are going to be there if you the have The Ford people, Sync thing, so bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all of that. You know, th- these are, are companies that are not, uh, they don't have any any app UX. They're not they going to create operating systems. Yeah. No technology security experience, none of this stuff. And uh, they need it or they have to buy it or they need to contract it from people who have it or something. Because and that's you, just not going to be as good as the what Google or Apple are going to cook up, probably. This does feel a little bit like the Intel... Uh, the, the in, Oh, God. What do you, what's the mobile processor class? Uh, it's not at arm arm. Thank you. This is a little bit like the Intel arm thing where, uh, it's like, is Intel going to get power efficient faster than arm will get performance efficient. And right now it's not looking fantastic for Intel. Arm has been getting performance gains way faster than Intel's been getting power. I think Intel will just start making arm chips, (laughs) but they actually are. Yeah. They, yeah. So that's all. The other example story. is BlackBerry saying those computer guys aren't just going to walk in and, and take our business. Yes. So <laughs> th- this does kind of raise the question: like, will Google learn how to put four wheels together faster yes. than? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It does kind of feel that way. <laughs> or at least create something that puts them. You know, they'll have the upper hand in terms of the technology, but they'll create something for all the car companies to buy from them. And I am perfectly fine with that solution. I'm perfectly fine with we build a car because we know how to build cars, but all of the smart guts that make it smart come from smart software people. Like that is totally, yeah. I don't see any but reason this is, that that's a This problem. is all tied up with the next wave in manufacturing innovation. Like I think that's actually one of the biggest secret horse races of all right now is like we joked about Apple's recycling robot being just, you know, tented fingers. How long till we can play <laughs> this in reverse? Like if you can crack that for cars, then what else can't you, and, and for phones and you've already got small and large, um, then what industry can't you probably make a significant disruption into where the entire labor force is in another continent, there's an entire shipping industry designed <laughs> to move that stuff. And yeah, shipping will still exist. Um, but I don't know. If you can make robot factories on every continent, why would you send boats anywhere? <laughs> yeah, the robots kind of screws everything up because and China like, owns as much of it does with manufacturing because of how horribly they treat their workers. Yeah, and I mean, can you imagine that I I could see Apple being like, hey, let's just put everything in the country where we're going to sell that product immediately. Robots aren't going to leak secrets. Uh, <laughs> we can have our precious secrecy up until the day of launch. Yeah, so you have your European robot plant, you have your North America robot plant, you yeah. have a South America robot plant, and Asia robot plant. Yeah, the only robot. thing you ship is raw materials, not finished products. Don't go intercontinental. Yeah, huh. 
Man, this anyway, this really is all just really fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like it's kind of like solving the the dicks in in Legoland. <laughs> like you inadvertently solved machine vision when you solve that small little community problem. And so, like, yeah, you figure out if Google figures out how to build a car, they kind of obviated their entrance to every single market <laughs> of manufacturing. Yeah. I mean, I think those things are far enough off because the current car manufacturers are fairly well established and fairly entrenched. I mean, Tesla is a fantastic example that even with all of his genius and all of his resources, he still hasn't really figured out manufacturing. And when Ford... I think that's the optimistic take on them, though, is they're really trying to... They don't have the incumbent status where, like, Ford and Toyota... They, they're really good at traditional car manufacturing. They've really, like, Toyota, very famous. There's a whole documentary about it, their process. And uh, they, they have an existing business that makes them less likely to be willing to sweep their arm across the table and embrace the new. Do you think they're uh, sufficiently afraid? <laughs> no, I think, I mean, this is, this fits right in with all the other analogies is like, can traditional car manufacturers modernize faster than tesla can learn how to mass produce and right now the traditional car manufacturers have the the head start for sure because if they solve this problem this small problem small small problem (laughs) they can then take that and instantly spread it across their gigantic manufacturing machine that already exists whereas tesla once they learn how to manufacture things at scale, they then still have to make factories exist that do not currently exist. And they have to, you know, bear out that their, their things actually work at scale for, you know, if you're, you're GM or your uh, Toyota Lexus or, or, you know, Nissan infinity or whatever, all these giant multinational conglomerates. If you say, Hey, um, you were building a car that looks like this, but tomorrow you're going to build a car that looks like that. And if the car building robots can build this differently designed car or you at the last step when you're installing software, instead of installing crap you built in house, you install crap Google made or Apple made like that's close enough to what they're already doing that that's a, not a huge leap. You know, I mean, the, the Nissan Connect app, which, by the way, the version I have actually doesn't qualify for. So I'm totally insulated <laughs> from this because I got one of the, the lower models. Um, but that that whole thing with the app. If they were smart, I don't know how they solve this problem, if they did it in-house or if they outsourced it, but if they were smart, they would have backed off and been like, whoa, let's go pay some Silicon Valley company to make our app until we either decide to get good enough at this in-house or we build a relationship with a company that does all of our software for us. And maybe that's what they did. I don't don't know how they immediately solved it, but they – we're able to quickly solve that problem in a variety of ways. I don't know how a company like Tesla or, or any other upstart could say, you know, haha, I've designed a robot that can make beautiful electric cars super cheap if they existed, which they don't. So now I have to go get yeah. funding to build the robot to prove that it works. And then I have to build a million of these robots in factories all over the world. By the way, we don't own any factories. <laughs> Like crossing the physical goods barrier is just, it's just more yeah. to do. Not insurmountable, not by any stretch. It's but just But it could more. also be a case where like 
you know, I think famously Jobs wanted to make the iPad first, but realized like this isn't going to happen first and set it aside to make the phone. And it's like, hey, we, we have technology that will build cars someday and we're actually going to go make a ton of money in these other related manufacturing processes and then uh, we'll come for the car when we're ready. <laughs> first they came for my car and I said nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you. I didn't know that story about Jobs, but I mean, you you could be right. And Elon Musk has famously been very open about the master plan and how yeah. he's he's not a car company. He's a battery company. No, he's not a battery company. He's a technology company. He's an energy concern. Like he seems to be playing a much longer game. And yeah. I have not gotten the impression because, you know, this this past couple of weeks I've been doing a lot of research about these different EVs from these different car manufacturers. I have not gotten the impression from Nissan or Toyota or GM or Ford or whoever else that they are also playing some long master game. They just see EVs as another kind of car that they may or may not have demand for. And if there's demand, they will make them and sell them because they're a car company. Yeah. I have to throw in another article in our show notes. Uh, Tesla, Wait, the where, improvisation. Where, where can I find those show notes? Uh, on our website. Where on our website? <laughs> <laughs> so there's everybody on slash living table slash one three five. Yeah, there's this uh, Monday note by uh, John Louis Gasset. I don't know how to say his name, but he he often comments about the tech industry. But there was an interesting uh, post. It looks like Medium, but it's using their software. Um, anyway, it was an interesting article about Tesla because of that you know, that bigger, longer pitch of, I'm not just making a car, I'm sort of, you know, I'm baking apple pie so we can get the universe going (laughs) kind of thing. Um, And that is sort of like the optimistic take on Elon Musk is, yeah, he's got this great vision, you know, I can buy into that, that's worth, you know, trillions of dollars down the line. Um, The other view is sort of the He's sort of spinning tails and treading water while he tries to get this going. But if you look at the numbers, they're still pretty disappointing. And yeah. so how, how much promise do you want to believe? Well, the, the the salesman that I worked with at Nissan, he was very nice. He was very knowledgeable. He was not pushy or anything. Like He, he seemed like a, a, a legit above-board kind of salesman, the kind of guy you would hope to, to work with in the very unfortunate act of having to buy a car because buying a car sucks yeah it's so (laughs) annoying um but you know he he seemed like a good guy uh but at the end when we were waiting for like my final paperwork to be done and we're just kind of standing there chit-chatting um you know we were talking about charging and i said because of the the kind of job i have and my wife has like we don't really have range anxiety which is what they call it with electric (laughs) cars so i was like this is perfect for me to dip my toe into having an ev because i'm like the ideal person to own a Nissan Leaf. Like I don't drive very much. Uh, when I do, it's not very far. I'm in Colorado. So there's charging stations everywhere. Like (laughs) I am a damn near ideal customer for this kind of vehicle that only has at maximum charge full to dead about a 90 mile range. Right. And he said about, he was like, well, you know, the Tesla this and Tesla that and like, it's so expensive and they were late on delivery and it's, you know, the model three is like, they're, they'll probably ship late. And I was like, you're right about all that. Here's why I'm glad they exist because you felt obligated to double the range on the Nissan Leaf 
because the Tesla yeah. exists. And in a couple of years, you'll probably have doubled or tripled it again. And what I, as the consumer, want is for you and Tesla and Toyota and Ford and GM and whoever else to all go into the ring and murder each other. <laughs> and for the most fantastic electric vehicle, I can't even imagine to emerge victorious because I don't work for you. I want yeah. you guys to slug it out. And if Tesla fails as a company, but the side effect is that you all make better electric cars, I still got what I wanted. That was a beautiful, poetic explanation of the capitalistic dream. <laughs> well, and I, yeah, right. I mean, I don't see how I, this is the, the Henry Ford problem. Like if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Like if you go to anybody and you say, wow, gas sure is expensive. What do they say? I wish gas was cheaper or I wish my car got more miles to the gallon and Tesla, you know, Elon Musk and the, the Tesla company basically said, what if not gas? Like, what if just not gas at all? And yeah. I mean, there are lots of other benefits like this car. You know, I have two little kids. This car is safer than my older car was. It's uh, it's quieter. You know, like you turn the engine on, baby freaks out or something like there, there's other like little fringe benefits. But I do honestly believe in like the electric car future. And I'm not a car person. So more than that, <laughs> I believe in the like connected smart car-y self-driving kind of future like the fact that i can just walk up to this car and it knows the key is in my pocket and then i open the door and then i sit down and i press a button and it has a boot chime <laughs> and then i just drive away and it's perfectly silent like those things are all a lot more valuable to me than the fact that like i don't ever have to change the oil like that's cool yeah. that is not enough reason to buy an electric car yeah, and like, yeah, when cars became mainstream, it's like, I don't have to change the shoes on my horse anymore. It's like, <laughs> right. that's cool, but this thing yeah. can drive you to Chicago. So there's that. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I'm I'm genuinely excited. Um, I literally, like I said, I got it. I drove it home and then I came in here and set up to record this podcast. You're so, going to go drive some more tonight? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to do circles around the block. Um, no, but I, I am, you know, I'll, I'll report back if it's, exciting if it's a particularly good or bad experience <laughs> but i i genuinely don't expect it to be exceedingly positive i expect it to be completely mundane which is what i want like yeah. <laughs> i want this thing to just be a foregone conclusion that having an electric vehicle is totally a serviceable way to live your life in current modern american society and it will only get easier and better over time like if i came back and i said anything other than it's so easy to find charging stations like that means that this is still a novelty and i kind of don't yeah. want it to be a novelty i kind of just want it to be like yeah it's a car it drives places it needs to get that to that tipping point like i think there's that article we've both seen before that like pretends that gas cars are the new thing and like yes. keeps talking about all the shortcomings like well you have this stinky liquid you got to pump into it all the time and uh, all these other things that just like pretend you're living in a world without automobile automobiles running on gas and would people be receptive to them they'd be like that is crazy why do you want this <laughs> loud rumbly thing yeah i just saw I, i'll find that article and throw it in the show notes which you can find at sunrise robot.net slash 135 but i just saw a a similar argument um about uh and i think we actually talked about this uh the cashless society like 
you know, oh, you have like your phone and it's got a battery in it and then you can use that to pay for things. But if your phone dies, you essentially have no money. No money. And then could you imagine if that is how all currency worked and then someone came along and handed you this tiny little rectangle with a (laughs) magnetic stripe on the back and said, hey, this gives you access to all your money all the time, no matter what. It can get wet. It has no battery. (laughs) If you lose it, they will just send you another one for free because they're so cheap to produce. Like there are some innovative. (laughs) Yeah, there's some interesting arguments to be made in the reverse there. But if we had already had electric vehicles that had a comparable range. I won't even say as good, but a comparable range. It's it hard. could even be worse because people would like they would be yeah, biased. We'd have, yeah, we'd have the infrastructure for it. And see, this is the thing I didn't realize is this is how much better the technology has gotten since the last time I bought a car and I looked at electric vehicles. So you can do what's called a trickle charge just off a normal plug, and it'll charge the battery in the car I have in about about six years, 20 hours, (laughs) which I mean, that's a long freaking time, but that's using just a regular outlet. It's about the same as an iPad pro. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and just like an iPad pro, if you're, it's running, then it just doesn't charge at all. It just drives water, (laughs) but this one's a freaking car. So, uh, then if you go up to the, the two twenty or two forty, which is like a dryer outlet, um, it'll charge in about six or seven hours, which is, and I'm, I'm talking completely a night of sleep. <laughs> yeah. Completely dead to completely full, which you don't ever do that. Right. Just like you don't let your gas car drop to empty. You know, people with electric vehicles typically don't let them run down to empty. Uh, so six to eight hours, a lot faster, totally reasonable. If you go to an industrial 440, which is what Tesla would call like a supercharger, you know, every company has their own brand name for their... their Retina s- charging. Yeah. It's 30 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. That's not that bad. And there's one at the dealership, not that far from my house, which is available to me for free because I own a car that their company makes, just like the Tesla superchargers are available to them. Yeah. And so to say like, hey, you know, uh, once a month... Maybe, depending on what your driving habits have been like, you're going to drive over here, you're going to sit for 15 or 20 minutes to just, you know, quickly juice it up before you go wherever. Like, that's, is that that unreasonable compared to driving (laughs) to a gas station like once a week? I really don't feel like it is. And that's the current state of the infrastructure. It's going to get better, hopefully. I mean, they'll they'll start building in the homes, supercharger thing. Like, I, I love the Tesla idea of the, the solar power that's just a battery pack in your garage that will supercharge your car. The Tesla wall. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I love all that stuff. And all that will happen once people accept (laughs) modern electric based vehicles. Well, Um, there's, and and then once you have that, why not an electric powered, uh, grass mower or anything else? Yeah. all, All the things. Yeah. Yeah. You now have the infrastructure to fast charge anything bigger than like the drill you use for pictures or whatever. There are three hurdles that I can see we need to overcome from like kind of a technology standpoint. We need the infrastructure, right? Everybody's house just needs to be wired this way um, with solar panels and things so that we're not drawing, excuse me, so that we're not drawing on a central grid because obviously the central grid can't handle it. Uh, Two, the batteries themselves need to have a longer range. So I need to be able to charge quickly, but I don't want to have to drive for half an hour, charge for 10 minutes, drive for half an hour, charge for 10 minutes, right? Like there's a ratio we have to cross. And then the third one, just like with watches and phones. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, and, and then the third one, and I don't know the chemistry. I'm not a chemistrist, 
so I, I don't know exactly how surmountable this problem is with current technology, but uh, the, the guy at the Nissan dealership, he was very straight with me when he said, do not use the supercharger more than you have to because pouring power into the battery that fast, that is something that wears the battery down. Yeah. He was like, the 110 and the 240, you can basically use as much as you want, but throwing power in there at lightning speed, that is not good for it. Yeah, just the chemistry involved just wears it down the capacity. Right. So that's another hurdle we need to cross, is not only do we have to be able to charge the batteries faster, but that has to not shave Nuclear years. power, man. Portable, yeah. shielded <laughs> nuclear power. <laughs> Like in the Fallout universe where they just yeah. never evolved away from nuclear energy. Yeah. No, but I, I think these are all surmountable problems. Um, unfortunately, the biggest barrier, like always, like with anything, privacy is not technology. It will be the culture, the legal demand, or the cultural demand, the legal incentives. We'll get there. Yeah, me, if it's profitable, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's why I want that capitalist slug fest because I want Tesla to validate this market, even if they lose billions of dollars doing it. So <laughs> even that, if they don't win in the end, just be part of the struggle that brings it to us. Basically, yeah. I, I mean, Ford Thank was you, not Palm. <laughs> Ford was not the first uh, gas motor company, but they made it uh, a feasible production model, right? They weren't even the first. He gets credit not only for being the first car, which he wasn't, but for the assembly line, which he didn't design or create. <laughs> but he used those two things together in a way that no one yeah. else had. And when you win, people look fondly <laughs> on your history. <laughs> Very much. So I don't think Elon Musk is likely to be forgotten, but I want his good deeds to outlast him as a celebrity. We well, should have named his company Edison if he wanted to win. Oh, snap. <laughs> Is that where we put a bow on it? That feels like I a think good so. bow. <laughs> so if you haven't been listening to the episode and you need to know where to find the show notes, you can find them as always at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash one three five for this episode. Mike and I both love the feedbacks. And you can find us most easily on Twitter. I am at Lions in Beta, and Mike, you are? Pseudo-Michael, S-U-D-O-Michael. But where you should really go if you want to keep the conversation going is to our Reddit community, reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables. Every episode gets its own uh, post so that we can have a conversation about whatever's going on in there. Um, I have a pretty strong suspicion that some of our listeners are probably EV drivers or have been in the past, so I would love to hear... Any tips, tricks, gotchas, lions, you're an idiot for buying this. Why didn't you wait until you had enough to buy a Tesla? Like any anything anybody wants to share about an EV, <laughs> um, I would definitely be interested in hearing about. And uh, that is where we can have like a little bit more of a robust conversation, right? It's not just the kind of ephemeralness of Twitter. So definitely go check that out uh, if you haven't been in there. And if you have, you know, thanks for coming back. Uh, you can support us a little bit by subscribing. That makes it easier for you. The episodes just get delivered right to your podcatcher of choice. I'm still using Pocket Cast. Mike, are you still on Overcast? Yep. Yeah, haven't gotten lured over not quite yet to the Pocket nah, Cast. I, side of I, I like I like Overcast. It's okay. good. We'll, uh, we'll get you. Um, like I have any stake in this. Um, but no matter what podcatcher you use, it just means you don't have to think about it. New episodes just delivered right to you every week. And uh, the more people subscribe, particularly if you're a crazy person and you subscribe through iTunes, that helps drive it up in the search results. 
If you want to support us a little bit more directly, you can actually leave us a rating and review in iTunes. Very helpful for SEO friendliness and all that nonsense. Um, plus, it gives us the warm fuzzies. And then if you want to be super direct, you can just go right to our Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot and pledge dollars. And depending on the level you support us at, you can get your name shouted out at the end of this show or every show on Sunrise Robot. And with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, I really bought more than I should have Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, Justin Edwards, Joan Edwards, and Warren Myers. We love you all so much. I could not have bought my EV without you. Hearts, hearts, hearts. And Mike would have no heart. (laughs) Did your heart just grow three sizes this day? I think so. I think it did. See you next week. See you next week.